You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled Friends in High Places, recorded on Sunday, May 6th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. It's great to be here in beautiful Catanning, Pennsylvania. But you may be in Indiana, Pennsylvania, or Freeport, Pennsylvania, or somewhere in the Petroleum Valley, lost in the petroleum, or you could be in jail right now hearing my voice, and I'm happy that you're, well, not in jail. I want you to be free, but I'm happy for, that you're here with us worshiping. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Mike, and enough with the introductions. Luke chapter 16 is our text today. If you have your smart device... Or your Bible in paper print, uh, or in any other way, hieroglyphic, whatever you got, open up your Bible to Luke chapter 16. We're in the final of our four-week series on our next initiative. Now, the next initiative is not a two, a four-week initiative, it's a two-year initiative. And you might be saying, I don't know what you're talking about, because you weren't here last week, or the week before, or the week before, to which I can only apologize now, because I can't fill you in this quickly, but we do have a a video online you can see that explains it, and you can pull over your campus pastor and ask more, and if you're new to the church, just try to catch up. (laughs) We're glad you're here. Luke chapter 16, verse 1 to 16. Um, This summer, we're going to be going through the parables of Jesus after we finish 1 Timothy, which we will, God willing, finish uh, 1 Timothy um, by the summertime, by June, sometime in June. We're going to be going through the parables. I like the parables. I think most people like the parables, right? Because they're stories. Um, but I'm going to do a parable tonight because it, it's, it's an unusual one. One that is difficult. It has its own difficulties within it. What is, what's it about? Uh, parables are stories Jesus told with a spiritual point. Like one pointy arrow that was supposed to uh, hit you right in the spirit. And um, so we're going to read this one and try to find the point. Jesus said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. Good idea. We just had the NFL draft in our country, and you're going to have some uh, 22-year-old young men who all of a sudden have $10 million. They need a manager. If you're rich, you're wise if you have someone to help manage. So his manager, and and charges were brought against that manager, though, that he was wasting his possessions. It's like in a rock band. The managers steal all their stuff. That's what this guy was like. And he called him and he said, What is it that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. Well, the manager said to himself, What shall I do? My master is taking my management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig. I have that problem. All, my, all the shovels I've ever seen are left-handed, and I'm right-handed. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. Well, he had some some self-respect. Okay. I have decided what to do. So that when I'm removed from this management, people may receive me into their houses. So, here's what he did. Summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to them, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. So that's pretty good, right? Your debt just got cut in half. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. He said, take your bill, write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteousness, of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. This, this parable causes all sorts of trouble, because the hero of the parable is a scoundrel. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus didn't pick this by accident. In the, within the story itself, why did the manager cut the bill of the master's debtor? 
We have to grasp that to understand what's going on. The answer is his own future looked bleak. So he said, well, if this guy owes my master a hundred measures of oil, and I don't know what that would cost, and I cut his bill in half, I just saved him a ton of money. So when I get fired here, I'll go over to his house, and he'll remember I saved him money, and maybe he'll take me in. And he did that with another debtor. That's why he cut the bill. He's making friends. He has a bleak future. You need friends. The harder question is, why did the, the man's master... Commend him. It says the master commended the dishonest master for his shrewdness. The master figured out what he did and goes, not bad. He just got ripped off. That's what makes this parable very difficult. Why would he do that? Why would he say, good job, guy, I was about to fire. Now you've stolen more from me. (laughs) Well done. But he says why. He says because of his shrewdness. He admired how shrewd the man was. Uh, This lazy manager was never any good managing his money and making him a thing. But when it it came down to his rear end in the sling, doggone it, he grew a brain. And he did something smart, even if it was just for his own good. The guy just admired him. Like one thief would admire another thief. That was pretty smart. (laughs) I wish he didn't do it, but hey, not bad. So that's what the story is about. That's a strange parable. Which leads to the question, and this is in the map because I think this question comes to mind when you read this parable. Why is Jesus telling us this story? Why are you telling us this, Jesus? (laughs) Does God want us to be dishonest in our jobs for our own benefit? Is that what he's saying? Should we steal (laughs) to benefit ourselves? Well, of course not. Then why are you telling us this story, Jesus? Answer. I'm going to give you two. And both of them, Jesus gave us. Um, Parables, sometimes Jesus will say a parable and leave you hanging. He'll just leave you hanging. The kingdom of God is like a man who who found a treasure. Mm. So he buried it in a field and bought the field. Yes. And what, Jesus? That's it. We're on our own with that one? You're on your own. But sometimes Jesus would actually tell you the point. And this one, he tells us the point. And there's two of them. First, Jesus tells us this story to highlight, this is in your map, by comparison with unbelievers, the tendencies for followers of God to be foolish with how they deal with their wealth. He's telling the story. So people who are faithful to God will see, by comparing themselves with the unjust servant, will see that that guy deals with wealth better than we do. This is a put down. (laughs) Jesus is throwing shade on us. Jesus is smearing it in our face. He's like, you don't respect the guy I just told a story about, do you? Not very much. Well, he's smarter than you. Jesus said it just to remind you what he said. He said, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Call them a den of thieves, if you will. They're smarter than you with how you deal with your wealth. Okay, Jesus, that didn't feel good. What's next? The other reason, second, the second reason that Jesus tells us this story, and this is in your map, is so that we will imitate the unjust manager by using the wealth of this world to make eternal friends. (laughs) Jesus wants us to copy this man. That's the startling part. Out of all the people in the story, you know the one I want to copy in the story? Either the rich guy who has all the stuff who's firing the man or the first guy with a bill. Can I copy him and all my bills be cut in half? Who doesn't want that job? But no, I want, I want you to copy the unjust servant. So I should lie and steal. No, don't copy that part. 
But here's what Jesus said with his own mouth. He said, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. That's what the man did. He made friends for himself. (laughs) So that when it fails, they may receive you. He did it so that he would be received into somebody's house. And here's Jesus saying, copy that guy if you're faithful. If you're faithful to God, do what he did. Make friends in heaven using earthly wealth. That's what the parable says to do. It's right there in red, if you have a red letter Bible. (laughs) It's in black and white, if you don't. There's the point. Jesus makes it clear. You believers, and so he's talking to me, Mike, and he's talking to you, your name. And he's saying, make some friends in heaven. You ever thought about that? You ever thought, what are you doing today? I'm going to go make some friends where? Heaven? How are you going to do that? With money? (laughs) With my stuff? Isn't that the oddest idea you've ever heard in church? Or anywhere? I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. That's what it says, doesn't it? Jesus is radical, ain't he? He says stuff that you don't expect. So, Jesus, you know what I think this is? Jesus is commanding spiritual alchemy, right? Remember the alchemists, the alchemy movement? The goal to use science or magic or whatever to change straw into gold. That was the alchemist's dream. Take straw and make it into gold. Never realizing market principles that if you make all the straw into gold, gold will be worth nothing, but straw probably will have a much greater value. But that's okay. They didn't think of that. But you're taking something worthless and making it into something valuable. And here is Jesus saying, I want you to do some spiritual alchemy. I want you to take the dust of this world that is wealth here, that you can't keep and you can't take to heaven, it's passing away and it slips through your fingers really fast. And if it doesn't slip through your fingers, other people will just take it. (laughs) And I want you to make permanent wealth in heaven with it. Um, I'm not content to just take Jesus' answer without looking a little more closely. (laughs) Because I think Jesus sometimes gives us hard parables like this, so we'll stop and think about it a long time. So I want to ask and answer the question for the purpose of looking closer at this parable for the purpose that you and I can apply it to our lives for what good is learning the word of God if you do not apply it to your life. So, in what ways are we to copy this dishonest manager? I'm going to re-ask the question and answer it again. Um, This time from a little closer examination. All right? Number one. In this way, the manager was generous with someone else's money. The man cut the dude's bill in half. How much did it cost him? Nothing. <laughs> cost his boss a lot. <laughs> Didn't cost him nothing. He, caused, he cut another guy's bill by uh, 20%. How much it cost him? Nothing. He was playing with the bank's money, baby. Playing with house money. Now, when Jesus says, go copy them, you and I can say, wait a minute, here's where I draw the line. I don't, I'm not a manager managing someone else's cash, God. I am using my cash, my home, my gold, my wealth. It's mine, right? I'm not in the same situation. Am I? Ah, (laughs) maybe I am. God says in his Brooklyn Jewish accent, not so fast. Whose money is it really? Everything that I have doesn't belong to me, God. That's right. Everything you have, does it belong to you? Well, in a worldly sense it does. Your stuff is yours, mine is mine. But in a much larger, truer sense, no. None of it's yours. I was looking out my back porch and admiring the beautiful green. I'd forgotten green as a color outside. (laughs) It's back. (laughs) That's my yard. And then it hit me. That's not my yard. And if you don't believe it, hit the fast forward button like 70 years. 
I won't be there and the yard will. Never really was mine. 1 Corinthians 4.7. Pay attention to this verse. Ready? What do you have that you did not receive? And it's a rhetorical question. You know, well, this, I earned it. No, no, no. You received it. People go, no, I worked for everything I got. No, you didn't. You received it. Well, I worked. I remember going. I worked harder than my brother. He's a schmo. He don't have as much. All that may be true. But have you ever walked around and thought, what in, on earth did I do to deserve to be born in America? Talk about hitting a lotto. We're Americans. What did I do to be born an American? Nothing. Just dumb luck, I suppose. No, God had a plan. If you received it then, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Your Christians aren't to look at worldly possessions like non-Christians. So the way we used to look at it, we give up and we look at it like God does, which is the true way to look at it. If you have it, God gave it to you. If God gave it to you, why do you act like you're a self-made man, woman, whatever you are? Right? There's a lot of pride in wealth. If you don't believe it, drive a junky car, the junkiest possible. Some of you are here saying, that's the one I brought to church today. Okay, he'll tell you. Sometimes you can take pride in your junky car. But deep down, you know, (laughs) everyone passing you by on the streets, you're like, I really feel (laughs) good about this car. And then the cops pass by and you think, they're going to think I'm I'm, I'm a drug mule, but I'm not. (laughs) Then get a car, rent a car. I love renting a car because they're always brand new. Right? I am going to my daughter's wedding soon in California. And, and Pastor Dave hooked me up with this rental place where you can rent Mercedes Benz's, get this, for $30 a day. As long as you pay for it in advance, long ahead. And I did. $30 a day, brand new Mercedes. <laughs> Do you know how that's going to make me feel? We'll be passing people who drive a Corolla, which I drive at home. I'll be like, scum. (laughs) I'll be a new man, baby. That's the way we are. Why do you boast as if you did not receive it? John 3.27, Jesus says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Not, not only could you not receive a Mercedes unless it's given by heaven, you cannot receive the prize from a Cracker Jack box. Young people, I'm sorry, I, just, I don't realize I just left you behind. You don't know what a Cracker Jack is? You don't know what a prize? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you can't even receive a free download on your iPhone. How's that? Ecclesiastes 5.19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. Keep this in mind. When you see wealthy people, maybe you are one, but there's always someone wealthier than you, you don't be jealous. God gave them that money. He does not give people money because we deserve money. At least not on earth. He, he, might, he doesn't have it, but not on earth. Never believe the preachers who say, if you live right, do right, and send me a seed, you will be rich. Because there's an awful lot of scum who are rich. Have you noticed? And I'm not saying I'm better than anyone else, but you know what I mean. There's people who oppress and steal and kill and get money for it. But if they have it, God gave it to them. Even the drug dealers. Job 41, God speaks for himself. And he says, who has first given to me that I should repay? You can't put God in your debt. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. 
No one's going to argue with God. Not if they're wise. If it's under the heaven, I put it there. It's mine. I put you there. You crawl around with a little bit of the wealth I let you have while you're down there. And you think you're all that in a bag of chips. I gave you the bag of chips and the salt on the chips. It's all mine. All we have is God's. And what this parable is telling you and me is that God commands us to use his property a certain way. In a way, we're free to do as we please, but he instructs us anyway. Do it this way. Second, second reason we're to copy this manager is this manager used his master's wealth to benefit himself. He didn't just play with house money. He played with house money for his own good. He got to keep the winnings. We are to use God's wealth to benefit ourselves. If you're taking notes, write that down. (laughs) We are using God's wealth to benefit ourselves. Now that seems counterintuitive. That seems self-indulgent. That seems self-centered. That seems selfish. That seems I'm out of selves. But you get the point. Well, if you think that means that I'm going to go buy myself the Mercedes I rented and I'm going to buy myself all the expensive things I want so I could buy myself everything that's wonderful and ignore all the needs around me, that's not what he means because whatever you buy on earth, you don't get to keep. That's why he calls it unrighteous money. He's saying this isn't the money for, for the holy people. You know, it's not a heavenly wealth. This is money for sinners, for earthlings. <laughs> But that doesn't change the fact that the point of the parable is self-benefit. Right? The point of this parable is you're supposed to benefit yourself in the way you handle wealth. Are you with me on that? Just to be clear, again, he said, I tell you. Jesus tells Mike. Jesus tells you. This is what he's telling you. Make friends for yourselves. Does that benefit you or hurt you? Benefits you. By means of unrighteous wealth. By the wealth I've given you. Okay? So that when the wealth fails, and it will, because your heart will stop, (laughs) they may receive you into eternal dwellings. So you'll have friends in heaven. So you'll have riches somehow in heaven. He's saying benefit yourself for the way you use my money. Not mine, his. God says, my money, don't be an idiot. These thieves in the world who don't even know God are smarter than you. You think you're just supposed to spend it on your temporary earthly comfort and hope nobody takes it. You're a fool. You're going to die. Don't do that. Take my money, spend it for your eternal benefit. And then we're back to the alchemy. How can you make something as finite, as temporal, as crass, as cash on earth among men into heavenly treasure which never passes away. That can never become that? He's saying, yeah, it can. (laughs) And you'd be wise if you thought that way. Um, An illustration. Imagine you love sweet corn. Some of you do, but let's say you don't, but you love ice cream. Well, imagine you love sweet corn as much as you love ice cream. And all the sweet corn in the earth is gone. And an angel shows up with one ear of sweet corn, and it's perfect. (laughs) It's just a beautiful ear of sweet corn. Just picked. Hands it to you. This is for you. If you eat that corn, you're a fool. Some people would eat it. But you'd be a fool, wouldn't you? It's the last piece on earth. Best let it die. Let it die good and dead. Wait till the following year. Plant it. You could have 800 stalks of corn. And then you have 800 ears. Maybe you eat five or six of them, but you'd be a fool to eat them and share them with your friends. You plant them again. After about three years, you can give away seed corn and you can eat more of it. But you'd be a fool to eat it. You with me? If you love love it. That's what our earthly wealth is like. 
You'd be a fool if you spend it all on earthly things or for your selfish, self-indulgent ambition. You'd be a fool if you do not find a way to plant it so it brings you a return. And Jesus is saying, bring me a return. Use God's wealth to increase the number of friends you have in heaven is literally what it says. That's crazy! (laughs) That's insane! Use God's wealth to increase your true wealth. More in a moment. Back to our map. For the sake of our community groups and our discussions and and even for note taken right now, this life you have, all you own, all that you are, all the opportunities given to you, all your abilities, all your capabilities, it's close to a Pink Floyd song here, you have received them all from God. They are the wealth of someone else given to you so that you can give them away and gain the treasure of heaven. To beat greed in the heart, all of us have greed in the heart. I do, you do, don't deny it. We all have it. To beat greed in the heart, we've got to take that step of realizing we're just managing someone else's wealth. Before we do that, you can't let it go. And God says that's shrewd. God's done the same. He gave his greatest treasure, his only begotten son. Sent him from heaven, he took on flesh, he walked among us, and he laid down what was most precious to him, everything, his life. He gave everything. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the shame of that cross. So Jesus actually, according to the scriptures, expects to have more treasure in heaven because he died. That's a a concept that has to do with his humanity, because in his divinity he has all things. It's a concept that's too mysterious for me. I can't understand it, but the word says it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Are you saved today? Do you realize before you should even think about applying this parable, you need to be on the receiving end of grace? Grace means free gift, that Jesus Christ shed his blood freely for you when you had nothing to offer him so that he could wash your sins away. That's the starting point, church. (laughs) Don't participate in the next initiative. Don't participate in an offering if you won't start there. Receive first eternal life. But with that in mind, How does Jesus define the event of the cross when it comes to trading earthly wealth for treasure? What was his earthly wealth at the time he died? He had at least one piece of clothing. (laughs) And people tossed dice for that. And he had his health. He had his body. He had his life. Which is the most valuable thing you're given, isn't it? Your own life. I mean, if you had to trade everything or your life, I hope you're smart enough to say, I'll take my life. He gave up that treasure. Did he do it to gain friends in heaven? Yes or no? Did Jesus lay down his life to gain friends in heaven? Yes or no? Jesus says this in John 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's talking about his crucifixion. He calls it glorified. Oh my. He's lifted up on a cross. Then he says this, Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He looked at his own investment of his life on the cross as a means of gaining eternal friends in heaven, namely me and you. He's very generous God, and he's not a hypocrite. He practices what he preaches to the nth degree. Romans 8.29 is in some circles is often quoted. There's something, a little treasure in here. It says, for those whom Jesus foreknew, or God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the part that we look at the closest. We're supposed to become like Jesus. But look at the second part. 
in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. Where was he born from? The grave. You say, Mary, well, we all were born from mommies. That can't be what it refers to. He was the first one born from the grave with that eternal body. He died to produce. He gave all the wealth he had. God from heaven gave his wealth in Christ, and Christ gave himself to produce friends in heaven. That's you and me. We are his treasure. You'd think he could have shopped better. I I mean, I'm not impressed with myself. But he makes me. (laughs) He makes you valuable. It bothers some people to talk about heavenly treasure, to think this way. Right? Are you with me? Some Christians are bothered by the thought, I am to live my life here in such a way that I gain treasure there. Oh no, that's a self-centered, self-glorifying, greedy thought. I I should just do things because Jesus died for me and not worry about heaven. As noble as you want to make that sound, it's not noble because it requires you to ignore the word of God. Well, that's how I'm going to do it. Well, then you're not obeying God. It's in many places, but let me give you one. Luke 12, fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. Oh, we're fearful, aren't we? Don't be afraid. For it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's generous. He's going to give you all of it. Oh, not here. You might get your head whacked off for Jesus here. But when he comes, it's yours. (laughs) Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide, look what he says. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old. Who provides them? I do. How do I provide them? It's right there with the parable. I use his wealth to gain friends, to gain heavenly treasure. You He expects you to be motivated by the idea that if I give it up here, I get more there. And you say, well, I'm too noble for that. You're too noble to obey Christ. That's why he said, come as a child. A child would get this without arguing. If you give away your cookie now, I'll give you a whole pack of Oreos later. Got it. And then they know their choice. Half of them eat the cookie anyway, half of them cash in. Which are you? Well, I'm too noble for that. I'll give away the cookie and I don't need anything. Well, you're an idiot. Provide money bags that you can't lose with a treasure in heaven that doesn't fail where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be. God is trying to transfer my treasure off of this earth into that one. He's trying to treasure your, move your treasure off of this earth to there so your heart will go there. This is why Satan came up with the idea, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. I say, if you're not heavenly minded, you're no earthly good because you're just the stuff of earth. If you're heavenly minded, you'll give it all away for, for the good, including your life. Now, uh, this isn't time to go into a, an at-length Bible study on how you handle your wealth and, and uh, that Ramsey guy and all this stuff. Yes, it's a biblical principle. You should work Make money and provide for yourself so you don't burden others. That means you have to have a house and you got to pay rent or something. But no matter what you have, the overriding principle is you hold none of it like this. All of it, it's an open hand. You hold all of it like this, including your own life. If that's what it takes to glorify God and get treasure in heaven... We're only managers of God's goods. Think what this will do. It'll get rid of half of the political speeches today, or maybe 90%, because it'll get rid of greed. If others have more, so what? Whether you live in a trailer or a mansion, God isn't telling you, if you're in the trailer, manage the mansion. He's saying, manage the trailer. Use it for me. Whether you're rich or poor, anywhere in the middle. Just use what I gave you. I'm not asking you, I'm not requiring you to worry about someone else's money. I'm requiring you to worry about yours. And the way you manage it on earth corresponds to your heavenly reality forever. 
And it's just a fact of the Bible. You don't, may not like it. It's, I don't like that. It doesn't matter if you like it. It's true. Let's go back to our text. This is what our text in Luke, right after that parable, he says this. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. The one who's dishonest in a little is dishonest in much. Each one of these verses I'm reading deserves a sermon, but it's not going to get it. One, if you are faithful with little, you'll be faithful with a lot. Very often someone is just dumb at work and doesn't manage a little job well. So someone says, well, maybe he'll do better if we give him some responsibility. And I go, no, 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 don't do that. If he doesn't do a little thing, he's not going to do that well. If he pilfers when you give him a dime, he's going to pilfer when you give him a million dollars. If he won't pilfer even for a dime, he won't pilfer when he has a million. Next verse. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth. My friends, that sentence is your lifetime. Let's assume you're going to live to your 85. Some of you might be 84. <laughs> Maybe you live to 90. <laughs> if you're already 85, 100, okay? But let's assume for the rest of you, you live to 85. Your whole 85 years is in this sentence. If you have not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth of your 85 years, what happens? Who's going to entrust you with true riches? You mean there's no true riches here? Absolutely not. There's a correspondence to the way you handle your wealth here and your existence there. Jesus said this. I didn't. Here's, here, here it goes farther. <laughs> and if you have not been faithful with that which is another's, that's your wealth. If you haven't been faithful with it, who will give you that which is your own? Do you realize on this earth, everything you have is borrowed from your skin to your cash to your home to everything, your singing voice, your talents, your opportunities, your abilities, your capabilities. Everything you have is borrowed. You've never owned a doggone thing in your life and you're not gonna. But there is a time when human beings made in the image of God will be allowed to actually own things. That's what that verse is saying. If you haven't been faithful with that which is another, God's stuff, who will give you that which is your own? There's a correspondence to the way you handle your wealth here and what you own there. It doesn't matter if you like the doctrine, again. It doesn't matter if you're the noble one among us, I just do it out of love for Jesus. You're holier than the rest of us, and I don't care. There's a correspondence. No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. You might say, well, if we invest earthly wealth that isn't ours in heaven, which makes sense because it's not mine to lose anyway, it's his, and we do that, and you get heavenly gifts, who wouldn't do that, you might ask? Why wouldn't I do that? The answer is because you love money. You can be as holy as you want. You can fake it for as long as you want. You can say, that church, all they want is money. I'm not giving money. I don't like the way they spend the money. I don't got to give them money. Get something in the mail. We're not giving them money. They say they're going to feed kids. They're not going to feed kids. <laughs> you pass people, family members. Well, I know he's my cousin, but if he hadn't squandered, he would eat. And uh, so it's his fault he ain't eating. You know, you can be as holy as you want to be. But the truth is you love money more than you love God. That's the truth. Every human must deal with this. If I were to talk about alcoholism, only a portion of the people in here wrestled with that or wrestle with that. If I could talk about sexual sin or gambling or talk about lying or all kinds of sins, some of you really struggle with some of them. Very few do we all struggle with. But here's one that everybody struggles with. You will either love money or God, God says it. And you've got to make that move. Because no servant can serve two masters. You will either hate one and love the other. You can't serve God in money. Do you see where God has pushed us in this text? He's pushed us to saying, okay, I'm at a crossroads. Will I look at everything I own as someone else's money given to me so I can increase the population of heaven? Or will I look at it another way? Will I love God or will I love money is the same exact choice. I'm a manager, his money. He says, use some of it to buy a house or eat or 
Or if you're in your conscious, rent a house. Or if you're in your conscious, a nice box by an overpass. Whatever. But you need to be investing in heaven. You will love the gift or you will love the giver. You will love the creature or you'll love the creator. You'll love the creation or you'll love the God who made it. You won't love both. This next initiative is just regular folks trying to figure out how to get you more treasure in heaven. Not that you don't have it already, but I want you to have more. And if you say, I got enough, I'd say, I don't want to hear it. The Bible says, keep going till you're dead. I want you to have more. I want you to get, <laughs> I want you to, get to heaven and say, glad Pastor Mike pushed me. And you might ask, well, wait a minute. Talk about the alchemy thing. How does giving to the church gain treasure in heaven? A thousand ways. I could give you a thousand ways. Believe it or not, you could give them to me. But we don't have time. Let me just throw a couple. Seven years ago or so, I walked in a dusty Muslim village on the other side of the world. I couldn't imagine myself I'd ever be in India. I was on a scouting trip with five other guys, and we were going with, a, with an Indian guy. And we just picked a Muslim vo- village at random. We walked through it, and everyone was staring at us like, like we were uh, in the victory parade in Yankee Stadium going through Manhattan. I'd say pirates, but no one remembers when they won anything. It's been a long time. This one little dude about this big, malnourished little dude comes up, sees me messing with a goat that I think is a sheep, and it's a baby. And he says, you know, he's trying to talk to us, and there's a crowd around us. And, and he pretty much says, hey, come back to me to my house. So we go to his house, and it's a little compound. It's really his father's house. His brother lives there. His mom lives there. His sisters live there. His sister-in-law lives there. There's a bunch of kids running around half naked, um, and they're laughing and talking. He shows me his cow. This is a great cow. It gives us milk. And in India, you know, owning a cow, eating cows, Muslims have to kind of hide that because the Hindus don't go for that stuff. They think you're eating their Uncle Rashad. <laughs> it's true. And he, he's all proud of his house. He's proud to have foreigners there. And, and we were all uncomfortable. We couldn't talk to anybody, but we thought, well, let's be here. I got a picture on my wall. You can see it if you go to my living dining room. And it has all of us standing there with Indians and some people from right here in Armstrong County holding up tea. They gave us tea. They gave us little crackers. They gave us some eggs. That's about all they had. The guy with us said, don't eat too much of it. They may be giving you tomorrow's food, but they were being very gracious. Then the guy, we're taking pictures and stuff, and the kids are having fun. We're having fun with them. And then the guy says, can I have your phone number? <laughs> I'm like, phone number? You know, you got nothing. You don't have shoes. Okay, here's my phone number. What's going to come of this? This was back, they still had the, you know, nobody even had iPhones yet. Really, not many. <laughs> Some people, they were pretty new. And then flew home. Never see them again. Except a few, few weeks after I got home, I got these phone calls. Hello? 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 At like 2 in the morning. Hello? Hello? That's all the guy would say. I'm like, yes. <laughs> He'd be like, this is your friend? Sam, this is your friend. Sam, this is your friend. How are you? This is your friend. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what to say. I'm very uncomfortable. Can we hang up now? Oh, no, no, no. And then he'd call back. I wouldn't hear from him for about 10 days or so. He'd call again. I'm like, why is this guy calling? We're not, I I liked him, but we weren't making any progress verbally. He didn't know any English. But he's like, do you know Facebook? Do you know Facebook? Because he'd figured out that he could find someone on Facebook. So we had a few weeks where we figured out how to find me on Facebook. And then... (laughs) You know, it's funny, when a couple months after this, you get a phone call at two in the morning, and you hear, hello, my friend, yes, do you know Jack Bowser? Do you know Jack Bowser? Because <laughs> he searched in Facebook to find the people who visited his village. Do you know his Facebook name? <laughs> you know, do you know? <laughs> kept in contact with him. He wanted to learn English. He kept in contact with me, actually. Sometimes I'd ignore his call. I hate to say it. He might see this video. Don't translate this part. I said it really fast so he wouldn't catch that. But I didn't know what to say. I couldn't speak his language. But then I noticed he started to speak English more and more. And he said he wanted to go to school to learn English. So it took a few years. But you sent a team over there to India. And, and, and then when they got on the ground, I sent a little money to send him to school. And he t- they took the money. They found the village. They had to remember which one it was. They went into the village. They went to his father, presented with the money. And... Now I'm like the king of their family, that big white guy who sends them money. And, and all he wanted, he said, can I come to America? Can you give me a job? 
you know, he's learning English. That's smart. Okay. Um, quick, get here before the wall. But um, <laughs> got to be practical. Um, <laughs> but because the people went back to visit them, they began to uh, relate to the whole family the gospel of Jesus Christ in their language because they brought people who could speak their language. And he received Christ. And you wonder, is this for real? Well, he's been baptized. You don't wonder, is it for real? Well, he's actually the guy who's doing Bangla teaching to our newest couple that came from Armstrong County, teaching them his language because he knows English well enough to teach it now. And he loves Jesus. Amen. All right? Let me, I, I want to just go farther. Since we have the missionary there and he knows more English, he wrote down this testimony of the story of when I first met him. And I cut a lot out because it's very long, but I want to read you some of it because you can get a sense of how he thinks and talks. And he's going back to the day when the seven people came to his village. He says, every day I would cut grass for the cows to eat. That day I was cutting grass in the evening. The grass was very dusty. So I was beating the dust off with a stick. And my mom came to the house and said, some very light-skinned and tall people, maybe foreigners, are walking on the road. Go and look. So I left the grass and quickly went to see. My whole body was covered in dust. My hair was white. I had a torn t-shirt and shorts on. So I went and saw and thought, they are from China. (laughs) They must have saw Jack first. (laughs) He said, I didn't know, but I thought that only English people and Chinese people are light-skinned. No one else. And when I went, I knew only maybe 10 or 12 English sentences, but I asked, are you from China? And then he goes on, he says, there were six or seven guys, and I said to them, everyone come to my house. And I had learned one other sentence, you, come follow me. I said it in English, and Mike laughed. And I was in t-shirt and shorts, he keeps saying that. He was taking pictures of things, the chickens, the baby goat, the little children in the village. He was taking pictures of everything, and we were laughing so much, we ate cake, biscuits, apples, and eggs. And then he took my phone number, and after some days, maybe a month or a month and a half, I called him. This breaks my heart right here. He had returned to America. When I called him, one minute cost me 12 rupees. That's 20 cents. I didn't have much money, only allowance. Every day I would not spend it. So after six days of getting 10 rupees per day, I would recharge the talk time on my cousin's cell phone. And after three or four days every week, I would talk to Mike for a minute. It was very important to him. But later... Now today we know he's saved. But here's how he ends. I, I cut, I'm cutting the story there. Here's how he ends the whole thing and how he looks back and he goes, I think that God sent him to me to show me the way. Before all these things were God's plan. So I think, how is it possible to have a friend on the other side of the world? The whole world is a very, very long path. From both ends of that path, I have a friend and a brother. It is God's plan. Now, that is one friend that I'll have in heaven. And you may say, well, what has that got to do with me? Well, how did I get there? You tithe. (laughs) And I went. You sent missionaries. You have a friend there. You have, you, that's treasure you got. I didn't even know I had some. You got some. It's picking up interest because he's, He's been beat up for Christ and he still walks with them and he's, people are going to get saved because of him. I could give you a thousand examples. Several years ago we had a VBS here. And you know what you did with your earthly wealth? You tithed it and you came and, and we used that money to buy cookies or candy or we, we used the money to buy, you used some of your own money to make cookies and, and we used the money to pay the electric bill and we used, we used some of the money for, for game materials and, and, and we use money to decorate all the rooms and we use your earthly mammon, your filthy lucre, your, your, un, your unrighteous wealth. We, we use to, to, to turn on guitars and lights and jump up and down and sing and, and one family named Thomas brought their kids and the dad came and he said, let me see what they're doing. And that dad got saved and John and Sarah and their family have been with us ever since. They now are friends in heaven and if, if you didn't tithe to pay the light bill, that's how you do it. There's a million stories like this. That's how we do ministry. I could go on and on and on. 
Last weekend, Ashley Wasson led three kids to Christ. If you were to go to our back, back, there's a beautiful stage. And, and uh, now all four campuses have had redone child areas. So they all look better than they did. But with that was a curriculum that you purchased with money you gave. And video screens. Why they got to spend my money on video screens? Back when I was a kid, they just had felt boards and people got tagged. Shut up, you grump. We bought video screens. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Kiss my knee. I don't care. We want video screens. And we put a stereo system. And if you go back there on a Sunday to any of our campuses, you'll see the kids jumping up and down, playing music, loving it. And you'll see them using the curriculum you bought. So that Ashley Watson last week could say, who wants to receive Christ? And three kids say yes. And she talks to them and they receive Christ. And that's not the only time I could give you more. Everything we're talking about is to increase the population of heaven and build healthy churches where, where this stuff grows. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. That's, that's all. That's all we're talking about. Some people say, why do we got to fill out cards? There's people complaining about everything. Why do we got to fill out cards? Why do we got to take pledges? Oh, you're killing me. Fortunately, I had children, so I'm... No, just kidding. <laughs> Most of you did not. But there are actually legitimate questions. What are you going to do with this card? And I've answered the legitimate ones. We're not going to hound you. We're not going to bug you. But it's a way of us saying we commit together. So I've been carrying my card around in my car, on the visor, and today I commit it. I have to confess to you, the number my wife and I wrote down intimidates me. I mean, literally, I am so holy that I just do this stuff easily. I just float out of bed and there's a halo around my head and I have no problem. But really what happens is I go, how much? I've already told people I'm doing it so I can't back out now. (laughs) What can I buy with that? I'd like to tell you I'm holier than that, but those are the thoughts I think. Maybe I should. But that's just the flesh. By faith, God, make it more people in heaven. Make it more people in heaven. If you haven't filled yours out and you have it, I'd ask you, do it now. You can take two months to do it, or you can take two minutes, you'll probably come to the same conclusion. Right? If you give me two months, I'm going to take two months to make a decision. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.